Welcome to The Author's Tale, a series of casual conversations with prominent New Zealand authors, presented by me, Stephanie Froen. Last time, we heard part one of children's book illustrator and author Gavin Bishop's tale and his early life in Kingston. In this episode, we hear about his time as a high school student and then at art school and the influential teachers that instigated significant turning points in his journey as an artist. So after um, Kingston, you went back to Invercargill? Yeah, we went back to Invercargill. Did you have your high school days in Invercargill? Yes. So tell me a bit about those. We went back to Invercargill um, and then I had three more years at primary school. Right, yes. So I must have been like 10 or something, yeah. 9 yeah. or something like that, mm. you know, when we went back. Yeah. We shifted there when we were 3. So we were in, an, we were in Kingston for about 6, 7 years, yes. something like that. Yeah. Um, and we went back to Invercargill and we shifted to Clifton, which is, is, is now part of Invercargill. Right. But in those days it was a separate little community. Yeah. And we had a railway house on one side of the railway line next door to the to the railway station yeah. and there was, n- there was only one other house on that side of the railway line and it was next door to us in some willow trees and over the years, it was just a cottage yeah. and over the years the foundations had shifted dramatically so the whole thing was all sort of twisted. Wow. But living in it was an elderly man that everyone... Um, unkindly called Squint. He was known as Squint Wilson because he had, I don't know what he had, but he had, he was, I don't know what it was, but he couldn't walk straight. You know, he was... He kind of reflected his house. He was, it was like the crooked man. Yeah. There was a crooked man. He was just like the crooked man living in his crooked house. It's funny how art imitates life or vice versa. In 2009, Gecko Press engaged Gavin to illustrate their new publication of the classic nursery rhyme, There Was a Crooked Man. In doing so, his amazing illustrations gave the rhyme new life and a wonderful twist on the original. And what's more, he had children who were probably adults. They might have been late teens, but they were adults, but they were mentally unwell. He, he couldn't walk straight, you know, as if he had had polio or something yeah, yeah, at some yeah, stage. Yeah. And um, it, they used to live with him, but from time to time they were sent away to, um, oh, Cherry Farm, yeah. I suppose, up in, up in, yeah. up near Seacliff. Which doesn't, does, doesn't exist. No, up, up in Seacliff. Yes. And they'd go and spend time there, mm. and then they'd come back again. Mm. And they were, they were never there all the time, but he was there on his own. And... From time to time, we would go over to see him. I don't know why. Um, Mum, I suppose, kept in touch with him to see if he was okay. And he had the most amazing wallpaper in his dining room. It was a hunting, hunting scene. And these huntsmen on their ho- on their horses with their hounds raced all over the walls Fabulous. in this wacky, twisted room with the cold range on a sort of an angle with the pot sliding down on the top oh my Lord. and that was going full bore and um, then one every now and again the the milk trucks would come down the road between his place and our place yeah. and they would drive down to a farmer to collect his milk yeah. there were also big trucks that took oyster shells down to an oyster shell crushing plant oh. 
that was down nearer the water because yeah. there was an estuary behind us, you see. Yeah. And um, these trucks were constantly going back and forwards down the road that went between our house and Squint Wilson's house. Well, one day, Squint Wilson was out on the road and one of the trucks ran over him. No. Killed him. Killed him. Mm. Was he lying down on the road or was he? He probably tripped and fell under the truck oh or something Lord. like that. Because as I said, he couldn't walk. How but horrific. He couldn't walk straight. Yeah. He staggered. He staggered oh, as he walked along. But wouldn't along. you have thought that the truck drivers would be used to him and would in some way be I have a greater awareness? I mean, I know, no, I know, more, I know no more than wow. what I'm saying to you now about what happened. Oh, my God. I suppose mum and dad, you know, sheltered us from yeah. the, the true details. And then I guess it. as children, they left as well. They would have had to go into care if they were... Un- Not sure what happened to them. I oh think the house Lord. was eventually... What a story. The house was eventually abandoned, I think. Um, God. Yeah. Yes, it was, it was an incredible... The, 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 house was, the house was weird because, as I said, the wallpaper in the kitchen yeah. it was sort of indicative of the rest of the house because someone at some stage had tried to make the house quite nice quite yeah. comfortable yeah you know it had drapes and um and wallpaper through the whole place yeah. so there was there was this lavish or lush wallpaper yeah. throughout the whole cottage yeah. it wasn't a big it was very small um yeah it's just one of those bizarre incidents isn't it it, wallpaper, just think about the whole wallpaper thing is an interesting thing, actually, because these days so many people don't bother with wallpaper. No, no, no. It's all just painted walls. Yes. And I remember as a kid, we had wallpaper, of course, and we had one room that had, um, it was just a floral print, but the way I looked at it, it looked like an elephant's face yes. and big trunk yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'd always look at it and I'd be isn't it weird how you, yeah. you, once you've seen those things <laughs> no, you can you never can't. see anything else no um, and I just I, know. I loved it I just loved it and I remember <laughs> going to my my, um, my granny's my nana's place and they had wallpaper too and I just love looking at the wallpaper especially I think when you're sent to bed earlier than everyone else yeah. and in those evenings that well, it's, it's still, still, light. still light and you can see mm. and so you look at the wallpaper and you totally have a world going on with the wallpaper don't you i love it yeah yeah gosh how interesting okay so you're in invercargill you did a couple of years of primary school then after high school yeah and tell me about your high school days well i went because i knew i wanted to do art more than anything Mm. as a subject yes the only place you could do art as a subject at high school Mm. was southland technical Mm. college because if you went to boys' high school, there's only one other high school <coughs> that was boys' high school. Mm, mm. James Hargis, James Hargis hadn't hadn't started then. No, hadn't been built. Um, there was boys' high, girls' high, and Southland Tech. Yes. And so I went to Southland Tech because they had an art department that yeah. went right through to the seventh form. So Southland Tech was actually a high school as opposed to yes. a technical college, or was it both? Both. Interesting, isn't it? All those technical colleges were high schools. Whereas these days... Yeah, don't have them today. No, we've got the, what now is called... Hag- Hagley was an old technical an old, college. Yes, I was that was a high school. Hagley. Yeah, mm. okay. It was the same sort of thing. Same sort of thing, yeah. Right, okay, so Southland Tech, and did your art? I went to Southland Tech and I, did, I was there for four years or something. Yeah. And I did art, and I did... Uh, 
Again, when I started high school, see, mum and dad didn't know anything about what I wanted to do. They didn't understand that no. I wanted They thought I wanted to be a sign writer, you see, and I thought I did too, because <laughs> yeah. I, that's all that's I all knew. That's all you've been exposed to. All I knew. Yeah. And then when I went to Invercargill, of course, I saw people who were dressing windows and shops, and I thought, well, window dresser too, you could be a window yeah. dresser as well. There's another sort of art yeah. sort of based yeah. activity, occupation. So I started off at, arts, uh, at <coughs> Southland Tech, and there were the whole top floor of the building. It's now um, the Polytech. Yes. It's still there. The building's still there. In fact, I was down there f just before Christmas, and I wandered along and looked into the, looked in and looked up the stairs that we weren't allowed to walk on because they were the terrazzo. We weren't allowed to go into that part of the school. And um, and up the very top floor, like about the fourth floor, yeah, there was a row of rooms that were. That was the art department. Mm -hmm. There were two main classrooms, and then there were one, two, three, about three or four craft rooms, yeah. like a pottery room and uh, various other things dotted along in the middle. Yeah. And um, I remember both of this of the classrooms at either end had a door by the teacher's office that went into the storeroom, which was under the actual tiled roof. It was like a lot. It was really exciting. Yeah, used yeah. to sort of love going in there. I can look there. at the twinkle in your eye thinking about it. Goodness <laughs> me! Used to love it. it. Was exciting. Yeah. It was, you know, it was yeah. sort of like all the, the things. magic cave. You know, yeah, or... it was. So anyway, I started off, and I thought, um, I only have to stay for two years. Yeah. I only have to stay at high school for two years because after that, you can go and get an apprenticeship. Yeah. Well, towards the end of my two years, a new young teacher, first year teaching came to teach at Southland Tech because he had gone to that school himself. He'd left and he'd gone to Christchurch yeah. and he went to the um, Island School of Fine Arts yes. and did painting and his name was Trevor Moffat. Trevor Moffat was born in Gore in 1936 and to quote the Eastern Southland Gallery in Gore, they say he's arguably one of New Zealand's most narrative painters. His paintings reveal the lives and stories of ordinary working New Zealanders. In 2015, the gallery was gifted an extensive collection of his paintings. And he said to me, he said, what are you going to do? When you leave school, and I said, oh, I'm going to leave next year and go and become a sign writer. He says, he says, why don't you go to the university in, in Christchurch? Why don't you stay on and do a fine arts preliminary of yeah. preliminary, preliminary diploma of fine arts, yeah. which will give you entry into the art school at the university in Canterbury? I said, I don't know anything about it. He said, I think that's what you should do. So I went home and told mum and dad, and they said, oh, well, you seem to know what you want to do. Please yourself. Fabulous. And dad said, don't, but don't you think it's time you got yourself a job? <laughs> and I said, oh, no, I don't know. He said, oh, I don't care. So anyway, I stayed on for the next few years. So we thank Trevor Moffat hugely. Yeah. It's a turning point, really, in your life, isn't Huge it? turning point. Yeah. And of course, I, got, I, I knew him well after yeah. that, and I knew him especially well in Christchurch yeah. and I worked with him at, when I was a high school teacher. I worked with him because he was a teacher at Burnside. So he obviously came back himself from Invercargill. He came back up here too, yeah. yeah. He didn't stay at 
himself on tech for very long, only a couple of years, yeah. and then he got a job, I think, South Canterbury somewhere, and then gradually back yeah. in Christchurch. Mm. Um, but he was painting. He was a painter. Yeah. And he would have these paintings that he'd bring along to school and have them in his classroom. Yeah. Oil paintings, still smelling freshly wow. of oil, because he, he just painted them that weekend. Yeah. And there were landscapes, local landscapes, yeah. landscapes of southland landscapes, with trees bent over in the wind and the raw open, you know, sea, sea and beaches and things like that. I was just blown away by them, you know. I thought, oh my God, you know, this is so exciting. So, yeah, that's, that's why I ended up <coughs> in Christchurch. So a couple of other people in my class as well, they came up to Christchurch as well at the same yeah. time. So there were about three of us came from Invercargill to Southland, to, from Southland to yeah. um, Island School of Fine Arts, and we did painting, and I did painting then. And that's where I really found, I couldn't believe that there were so many other people interested in art. I went there and there, were, there was this place full of people who were all painters, yeah. who were all sculptors, they're all, they're all people who were interested in art. Yeah. I didn't see an Invercargill, I'd only ever met about three other people. Yeah, you would have been the odd one out. Exactly. And then all of a sudden you, you, you come and you've got I know. You know, your tribe, I suppose, for want of a better word. Know. You know what I mean? It like, a, <clears throat> it's like, yeah. oh, I recognise myself <clears throat> with these people, whatever, you know, it's yeah. such a nice sense of yeah. almost affirmation of what you're wanting to be isn't yeah. a strange thing to be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also the, 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 other, the, other, the other students were inspiring. Yeah. But also we were lucky at the time to have some pretty major people teaching there. So first of all, there was Rudy Gopez. Who is? Rudolf Gopez was born in Germany in 1913 and studied painting in Lithuania under some influential abstract and modern artists. He served in the German military from 1941 to 1944, but fled in 1945, living the next four years at a refugee camp in Austria. Him and his family arrived in New Zealand in 1949, and by 1959 he was lecturing in art at the University of Canterbury and influenced many well-known New Zealand artists, including Philip Trostrom, Philippa Blair, Kura Tuwaru Riwiri, and of course Gavin Bishop. He's now dead, but he had a pretty dodgy <laughs> connection to... <laughs> the Nazis oh, really? <laughs> during the Second World War, but that oh. was all sort of hushed up. And, oh, yeah. and he came out to New Zealand sometime after the war, and there was nothing really happened until many years later, until he was quite old, and yeah. I'd left art school and everything. It was many, many, many years later. Yeah. Questions were asked about his previous yeah. life in Europe during the Second World wow. War. And it does seem as if he did have some sort of connections, mm. but me you know, as as a, as a student mm. at at art school, mm. he was inspirational because he at the time himself he was a wonderful painter, mm. and he at the time was moving from painting in a kind of 
German expressionist way, lots of wow. raw colour yeah. and things like that. Barhousey? But Barhousey, no. Mm, no, no. A, a bit more like, not even Kandinsky. Mm. Pe people like that, I suppose. Mm. Kind of raw, yeah. heavy paint. Um, he was moving from that to completely abstract paintings. And he was, he, he talked to us about things like um, points in space. Now, I mean, here I am, a greenhorn from Invercargill. I didn't even know what the <laughs> hell that meant. But he just explained to us. And I still, I still use all of this. Still, I still refer to this when I'm making a picture. Mm -hmm. he, would he would talk about things traveling through your picture. Yeah. And he said, you always read a painting from left to right. So when you start looking at a painting, you come in at the left, because you do the other book, you see. Yeah. You read it. So what, what you tend, when you're making a painting, mm. is you, you put these leaders in to catch the eye, to take them into the, into the body of the work. Mm. And then you have these points in space where you have these little tiny accents that catch the eye to help you, when you're looking at the painting, to take the whole thing in. So I always, I always tell people that art, you have to learn to read a painting. You have to, it's like reading mm. a book. You have to learn how to read a painting. So people who look at an abstract painting and, and rubbish it, yeah. I say it's because you don't know the mm. conventions of that of that work, mm. what its references are, what the other things are that it comes from, and you don't know how to read it. Yeah. Um, because I said whether it's abstract or whether it's a painting of a woman skipping through a field of daisies, mm. the conventions, the picture-making conventions are still the there yeah. in that painting mm. you'll find little bits of color travel through the picture um, you, you sometimes you look at something that that doesn't look very comfortable and you can't work out why and you suddenly realize that there may be an even number of objects when really there should be an uneven number yeah, of objects yeah. uh, there the the lines are the, the repeated the lines are repeated are all too close together and they're too evenly spaced. Mm. All those sorts of things. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what true abstract, yeah. abstract painting is about. And that's what, he, that's what he was moving to. And that's what he taught me. Mm. He taught me how to construct a painting, doesn't matter whether, what the subject matter is, this is how you construct pictures. And I, that was, was mind-boggling. And Vivian and I were very fortunate in that he, he adopted us. We were his favourites. And so therefore we could do no wrong. Mm. And he would spend hours with us. And we both graduated with honours and, yeah. you know, A plus and things like that because we did really, really well. Yeah. We were lucky, really, really lucky. The other person that was there at the same time was Bill Sutton. Yeah. He was totally different to, to mm. Rudy Gopaz. But again, he had another set of picture-making conventions that he told us about and showed us. And that was invaluable. And the other person who was there when we were there was Russell Clark.
Bill Sutton was born in 1917 and graduated from the Canterbury College School of Art in 1937. He taught at the School of Fine Arts in Canterbury University for 40 years and during this time he produced some very distinctive and well-known landscape pieces. He was made a Companion of the British Empire in 1980 for his services to art and he died in 2000. Russell Clark was born in Christchurch in 1905 and in 1922 was a student of art at the Canterbury College School of Arts, later becoming a member of staff in 1925. He was an active member of the New Zealand Society of Artists and became well known as an artist, sculptor and illustrator, being principal illustrator for The Listener and the New Zealand School Journal. He died in 1966 and in 1975 the New Zealand Library Association established the Russell Clark Award for Excellence in Children's Book Illustration, which Gavin has won four times. Mm. Illustrator, painter, sculptor, whatever, you know. Yeah. And he spent a lot of time up in North Island with Maori people, painting them, yeah. living with them. He was, he was the most extraordinary guy. And he was just a little guy. And he would often invite us, his, his group, around to his place. He lived in Avonside somewhere, I think. And he would show us his studio. And <clears throat> he had a big filing cabinet. And in that filing cabinet, he had um, visual references. These were pictures from magazines, um, newspapers, anything yeah. that caught his eye, mm. he would cut it out and file it in his filing cabinet because he had a job as an illustrator with the New Zealand Listener. Oh. Now, this is back, we're now 64, 65. Yeah. Now, back in the 60s, the, illust the Listener was illustrated with drawings, hand drawing, handmade yeah. drawings. Mm. They didn't use photographs. Well, they might have used the odd photograph, but they didn't. Nah. Photographs weren't. So he... While he was teaching at at high school, at art school, he would receive a telegram from the listener in Wellington and say, could we have three drawings of a boy running down the beach with a, with a, um, uh, a kite? Yeah. Uh, it has to be this size, this size, and... Um, and in the background, we want to see Rangitoto Island or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So he would do that drawing and then post it. <laughs> Wonderful. Post it yeah. to Wellington so they'd get it by the end of the week. I was going to say, but, and their postal service was somewhat more efficient than it is today. And he'd know it would actually get there by the exactly. end of the week. And it didn't cost him a fortune to no. do so. No. <laughs> oh. And... They would publish that little picture as an illustration to accompany an article or, or a story or, or something mm. in The Listener. And it was wonderful to be shown that. Yeah. It was wonderful. The practicalities of what you were learning. Exactly. That it could actually, it's a job. It's a job. And you, someone will pay you for your, right. for your ability. Yeah. You know, that's... Yeah, that's another moment, isn't it, when you make that connection. Oh, this could actually... Yeah. But, of course, in those days, it was practically impossible, mm. unless you wanted to be um, very poor <laughs> and live very humbly. Yeah. Or be a postie. Yeah. Um, 
to be an artist. Yeah. So we all went off to Teachers College. Yes. And we um, all became high school teachers. Mm. But quite a few people who had been very good at art sort of fell by the wayside. They yeah. couldn't keep both things up. No. But I was lucky because for a long time I did paint and both of you and I used to exhibit quite often. We were part of the, the, the group here in yeah. Christchurch. Um, and we had shows in Auckland and Wellington and stuff like that. But then in 1978, I was seconded into the Department of Education as a, as a um, high school art, um, uh, what do you call them? People who travelled around schools giving advice to teachers. But, that's, but that in itself, being seconded or taken into by the Ministry of Ed at the time, yeah, that would have been a great gig to get. It was. It was. And why you? Why did you think they chose you? Because I had the reputation by then of being a good art teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd obviously made an impact on your students, clearly. Hmm. And the, my, my students had been getting good results and exams and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So I was seconded into the department for about eight or nine months, I think it was. Mm. And I had the the southern region. Now, the mm. southern region is huge. Oh, wow. It's, like, it's from Kaikoura um, to Bluff. Don't worry about it. It's funny, fine. From Kaikoura to Bluff. Mm. It's huge. And um, we had just young kids at the time, so it wasn't, wasn't particularly a great time to do it. Um, and I'd be away for two or three days at a time, you know. Yeah. But anyway, the reason I'm telling you this is that on one I just, have to, I, just, sorry, I just have to say, I'm loving the musical telephone. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> We've still got a landline. <laughs> I wish we all had landlines. We still have a landline. I actually miss, I miss the, um, and I will get, I will get but I, don't you miss the, the actual physical, the physicality of picking up the phone and dialing a number. You do. I miss that. There's something wrong. Really I also like the idea of the phone being in a particular spot in the house. It's on the wall or it's sitting on yes. that particular area. It's in that place. And again, I think I relate that back to when I was a kid. We had a phone in the hallway. Yeah. And that's where the phone was. That's where you stood and spoke on that phone. Yes. You spoke and there. Yes. And, and if, like, my sisters, if they were talking to boys, gosh, you know, the huddle up around the phone. And the whispered conversation, because everyone can hear what's going on. <laughs> Whereas these days just take off to a, to a bedroom and no one knows anything. Anyway, sorry. Back back to your, um, off you went around the South Island with your gig for the um, Ministry of Ed. Advisor. Advisor. It's all. It's very posh sounding, isn't it? It sounds very important. An advisor. An advisor. I was an advisor. An mm. art advisor. And so anyway, <clears throat> in those days we didn't have any permanent... Uh, art advisors in secondary schools. So any art advisors we had were primary trained and that wasn't a good thing. No. Because when I started teaching, the art in high schools took off and it became more and more demanding and more sophisticated. Art history was introduced. Yeah. I loved art history and I... I I went to a lot of trouble 
to prepare myself to be able to teach it. I'd done it at art school, but I loved teaching art history more than actually teaching practical art. And so all of those things were being offered in, at art, in art departments around the country, but there were no trained art advisors to actually advise teachers with those subjects. Mm -hmm. The people who were art advisors in those days were primary trained and were trained to go into primary schools, but they would from time to time because it was part of their, yeah. part of their job to pop into a high school, but they couldn't offer anything. No. Um, so anyway, when I was, I was advising and I was traveling around and one day I happened to be in Dunedin at, at Queen's High School, girls high school down there, mm. and the art teacher, her name was Dot Storb. She said to me, just out of blue, I was just standing there talking, she said, have you ever thought of writing a book for children? I said, why do, how come you say that? Yeah. And she said, what did Dot Storb say? And how did this influence the next phase of Gavin's journey? Listen next time to part three of the author's tale with Gavin Bishop to find out. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Author's Tale. Don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. And should you want to know more about our authors, you can find more on the podcast page. Or for Gavin, go to his webpage, gavinbishop.com. You've been listening to The Author's Tale, produced and presented by me, Stephanie Fruin, engineered at Plains FM, and made with assistance from the Christchurch City Council and Creative Community Scheme.